3: Oh, excuse me, pardon me, how are you, sir? Nice to see you, another victim. (laughs) Come on, I'm just kidding, pal, come on, welcome to Rush. Step inside, what future adept do I have the pleasure of speaking with today?
1: Uh, I think my name is under J for Jesuit. Yep, that's me. But... I don't want to give the wrong impression. While I'm very interested in learning more about secret societies, I'm not positive I want to join one, exactly.
3: Ah, bro, no problem there. We know that choosing a secret society, or whether the secret society life is even the right fit, is one of the most important decisions of a young man's life. So, no pressure from me. Certainly no pressure from anybody in the room. Don't count on there being any pressure. If you came here looking for pressure, you came to the wrong place. We're all about finding a deep genuine connection between a new recruit that sir is you and the mysterious powerful i I guess you'd say potentially sinister group that suits him best so let's just get a name tag on you there you go buddy and now what do you say we go meet everybody sure sounds good ah look at it do you smell possibility in the air well, man, why are you just standing there? There's no time like the present to start mingling. Get in there and make some friends. Good luck.
4: <coughs> <coughs>
0: oh, shit. Wait, I gotta read off this scroll. Hail, hey, fellow. Well met. Wouldst thou spare a thought to joining the ancient and illustrious fraternity of Kappa Tau?
1: Kappa Tau. K.T. Oh, you must be the Knights Templar. You're one of the oldest secret societies
0: around. Shh. Bruh. Do you want people to hear you? Ixne on the Itsne emplarte. We had a super fucked up thing go down about 700 years ago with a certain bonfire happy French king. And now we prefer to just go by the Greek letters. If that's okay with you. But dude, you guys
1: are fucking legends, man. Fighting the Saracens, protecting pilgrims, delving into the secrets of Solomon's temple, not to mention having more money than you knew what to
0: do with? Bro, you know we got stories for days. No doubt. But if you're gonna hang with KT, you gotta keep that shit on the DL, you feel? I've got so many questions, can you- (laughs) Oh, questions
1: have you, young seeker? Uh, yeah, wouldn't describe myself as young, per se.
0: Dude, we're having a chat, so, like, some privacy? Not to be rude, but I was talking to the emplarte here. Dude, smooth. You got this. If that is all you need, please don't mind me. These, as you say, emplasté have secrets sufficient for simple minds. I'm feeling like hostility from you, bro. Do we need to take this outside? Perhaps you find your answers outside, Templar. Bro, keep it. Down, But we of Ro-Kappa covet the wisdom that comes from truly understanding what is inside.
1: Ro-Kappa? Holy shit, you're the Rosicrucians. Man, do I want to talk to you guys. I hear your whole history may be a complete fabrication.
0: Perhaps, but if so, that false story spawned a real society with genuine secrets which, if you join us, we would be happy to share. After you've achieved a certain level of spiritual enlightenment. Ah, we Jesuit, you don't want to throw in with this lot of wankers. Come meet the lads at Faimu, or as you may know us, the Freemasons. Dude, you guys are such bullshit, pretending to be connected to our noble and ancient society. Gosh, you date back to what? The 11th century? We trace our lineage to Hiram Abiff, master architect of Solomon's Temple. Now that guy could fucking drink.
4: Oh dear, FJ. How these rabble do carry on. But if you're really looking for a society that can get you on the inside track to little things like secretly running the world, may I recommend that you join Iota Lambda
1: Moon. I was assuming the Illuminati would show up at some point.
4: Well, we are, as the saying goes, both everywhere and nowhere. But seriously, Jesuit, it's time for you to make a choice. I...
0: Who's it gonna be? Whose secret society do you trust? To give you the secrets about how the world really works.
1: None of you, actually. Mostly because all of the cockamamie ideas that people have developed over the centuries about the power, reach, influence, and continuity of these secret societies, not to mention the putative value of the secrets they supposedly guard, are way, way overblown. Of course, there's a bunch of true, fascinating history to learn about all of these groups, and even more fun to be had debunking and ridiculing the obvious nonsense that conspiracy theorists have attached to them over the years. Which means it's time for a brand new topic on the paranoid strain.
4: Forces of nature, Mr. Jesuit, and I won't have it. Is that clear? You are a fool who thinks in terms of reality and conspiracies. There is no reality. There are no conspiracies. There is only one holistic system of secret societies, one vast, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of orders shrouded in mystery. Am I getting through to you, Mr. Jesuit? You get up on your little podcast feed and howl about how conspiracy theorists are destroying the shared nature of reality. There is no reality. There is only the Knights Templar and the Freemasons and the Illuminati and the Skull and Bones and the Priory of Sion. Those are the secret societies that run the world today. The world is one big backdrop for a group of initiates, Mr. Jesuit. It has been since man crawled out of the slime, and our children will live, Mr. Jesuit, to see that perfect world in which there's no more reality, no more conspiracy, one vast and ecumenical humankind. Run forever by the benevolent whims of the secret masters. All necessities provided. All anxieties tranquilized. All boredom amused. And I have chosen you, Mr. Jesuit, to preach this evangel. Why me? Because you've got a podcast, dummy. Thousands of people listen to you every couple of weeks.
1: I think they tune in to hear Dana Unicorn, actually. Speaking of whom...
5: So we're reworking the Ned Beatty scene in the 1976 classic, Network? Something like that. And that would make you the ranting Howard Beale character?
1: I've had all of your condescending attitude toward my little intro sketches I can stand, Dana.
5: But I'm not gonna take this anymore! Hadn't you better get on with the actual show? The
1: lady is wise. Welcome, one and all, to our brand new topic, which, as you probably guessed by now, is Secret Societies.
5: They already saw the title of the episode, doofus.
1: Dana, I paint an evocative picture with my mini-dramas. Yes, Straniacs, we are embarking upon an epic journey to explore the history and impact of some of the most legendary and influential secret societies ever organized as well as the totally insane ideas that various nutballs have attached to these groups over the centuries. We'll be doing this in two big segments, the first dealing with pre-1900 groups and the second handling the most recent 130 years of clandestine insanity.
5: He's not sure how many episodes this is going to cover, but it's safe to say it'll be a main focus throughout 2021 and potentially into 2022. Turns out there's a lot of weird stuff to go over here.
1: As you would expect, we'll eventually be collecting our short episodes into giant multi hour epics for the completists out there. Before we dive in, let's welcome in the new listeners. Hi there, new folks. Welcome to the Paranoid Strain. This here podcast comes out in reasonable, bite sized chunks every couple of weeks. And over the course of a whole bunch of those chunks, we aim to tell you the complete story of one topic or another about which people have developed a bunch of strange, poorly supported notions. We do this so that you can better understand why your roofer, your disturbingly ripped pool boy, and especially the Schmidt family at the end of the block, whom your wife says you're unhealthily obsessed with, and maybe that's true, but there are at least a few obvious indicators something strange is going on over there. No, it's not that unusual for a father and son to live together well into the son's middle age, nor is it so odd that John Sr. passed on his full moniker to his boy, including that incredibly strange second middle name. But simultaneously, the weirdest fucking thing you've ever seen in your life, and the thing that no one ever seems to acknowledge, is that every goddamn time the two of them head out, everybody in the neighborhood drops what they're doing, leans out the windows and doors, and shouts at the top of their lungs, the obvious, seemingly banal fact that the jingle Heimer Schmitz are, in fact, headed to the Costco or whatever. The whole thing is frankly unnerving. Jesus, that's a long way to go for a joke. Anyway, we're here to tell you why all of those folks believe such weird conspiracy theories. I am your host, Fearful Jesuit, a man who knows why fools fall in love, but isn't telling.
5: Isn't the answer alcohol?
1: Fuck. There goes that secret. But we've got plenty more purported mystery to cover here, and we're eager to start diving into the history of all of these fascinating groups, from the Knights Templar to the Illuminati. But before we do, there are two things to keep in mind. First, while the history of these societies is indeed fascinating, the real-life secrets they hold are often a bit of a letdown. Arthur Goldwag put it best in his Cults, Conspiracies, and Secret Societies.
5: Here in the real world, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that the closest-kept secret of many secret societies is the fact that they haven't got all that many secrets worth keeping.
1: Fortunately for us, though, while the actual secrets are no great shakes, the secrets that conspiracists have imagined these societies guard are absolutely fascinating. The second thing is, in classic Paranoid Strain style, we can't actually start things off by just launching into the topic itself.
5: Well, we could. But he'd just get all mopey and sullen throw a tantrum, and be just impossible to deal with. So, let's just put up with it, okay? Later, I'll give you all orange slices.
1: Thanks, Podcast Mom. Yeah, in order to give these groups their proper context, we need to look at the most ancient flowerings of secrecy and exclusion that the pitiless passage of time has spared for modern study. We're going to spend some time talking about the early history of truly ancient, genuinely mysterious groups, and how they influence the organizations we'll be focusing on in this series. In addition, we're going to have to provide some basic information on certain Jewish and Christian religious and cultural concepts and institutions, because those are going to be super important for our subjects later on.
5: Especially as we get to the conspiracy nonsense.
1: We should also mention that we're very fortunate to be joined on this journey by Professor Richard D. Spence. And what
5: are Dr. Spence's qualifications exactly?
1: Well, I mean, he's the guy who created the Great Courses class titled The Real History of Secret Societies, for one thing
5: oh, okay, that's a pretty good qualification.
1: Yeah, we thought so. In that course, Dr. Spence had a great definition of what makes a secret society, and we liked it as much as we liked Goldwag's comment we quoted earlier, so we asked him to kick things off by sharing that observation with us.
6: One of the main things about a secret society, it's not necessarily that its existence is a secret. I think that's the most common misconception people would have that a secret society is a society that no one knows about or is trying to keep itself as secret as possible. Sometimes that's true. There are secret societies that like to operate secretly. The most successfully franchised secret society in history is Freemasonry. Anytime you drive into a town with any kind of population and you look at the sign welcoming you to Podunkburg or wherever you're going, that you'll probably see a sign announcing that there's a Masonic Lodge. I mean, that, that's a kind of hello to fellow Masons that are coming in, but it, it's announcing to the entire world that they are there. What makes a secret society secret is the secrecy that surrounds what goes on within the organization. So that means whatever is done or discussed, the rituals that might be involved, anything that takes place, let's say, within the lodge, that's what's secret. That's what members are sworn to to preserve the secrecy of. So that means that you can often see the secret society. It's visible. You know, it's like a castle sitting on the hill. The point is you have no idea what's actually going on inside it and that type of thing. Well, that makes some people nervous. They are selective. You can't demand to belong to a secret society. You have no right to belong to one. They are private initiatory organizations that selectively recruit their members. They have to want you. One of the things that's most appealing, I think, about this type of organization is that there's an exclusivity to it. You you have been chosen to be a brother or a sister of this organization, where others have not. If you were in a fraternity or a sorority in college, then yes, you were in a secret society. made you kept certain things secret, didn't you? And one of the things that you might take pride in is that you were selected to be a member of that organization where other people were not. Once you're in, members go through some type of initiation. Initiations can be very broad and general, or they can be extremely elaborate, even potentially dangerous. The point is, is that there's an initiation. The person has to feel that they have passed the test to be admitted to the rest of this group. Then once you are initiated, you are told that you must keep things that pertain to the society within the society. You don't talk to people who are outside of it, you maintain secrecy. And you can do everything from, you know, swear a kind of general oath to keep things secret, or you can, you know, crush your heart, hope to die, literally or figuratively. You know, it, it depends about how much you want to make out of it. All of this is about how seriously people take it. A person who's not really serious about it, someone who's doing this is, you know, half a joke, you know, probably if things get a little rough, they're going to bail early on. One argument that what you need is some sort of test that the the insincere and the faint of heart will quickly shy away from, leaving us with the people that, that we actually want. The other thing that goes with oaths of secrecy to the organization is a bond with other members. Once you are admitted to this society, once you have become part of this artificial family which has been created, it creates a relationship with a group of people which is different from every other human relationship you have because it's not it's not really based on family what binds you together is that you both have been selected to be part of this group and you have both accepted that selection and bought into the the entire organization and and that creates a, a kind of particular bond that you don't have with anyone else
1: And while we're on the subject, we asked him to let us know why exactly he was drawn to secret societies as a topic of study in the first place.
6: So how did I ever develop an unhealthy interest in secret societies? What academic in their right mind would ever do that? The trigger for most of this had to do with my particular interest in history, and that is modern Russian history. And that means that you're dealing with the Russian Revolution, that that whole sort of era. And once you enter into any kind of revolution, you've entered into conspiracy land. You cannot have a revolution without at least one conspiracy and probably a lot more of them. You must plot and scheme and conspire. And the people who do that best, like Lenin, come out on top. Early on in my career, I wrote a biography of someone that people have never heard of, a Russian revolutionary figure by the name of Boris Savinkov, an anti-Tsarist revolutionary. There was an incident. During the revolution of 1917, after the fall of the Tsar, before the Bolsheviks, this is when members of the Romanov family, of the imperial family, have become, you know, well, kind of unpopular with the new regime, and they don't know whether they're going to be arrested or what's going to become of them. One of the male relatives of the Tsar, Grand Duke Alexander Mikhailovich, was basically trapped in a town. He was unable to get out. And Savinkov, being a political commissar of the new government, had the ability to free him let him go. Now, Savinkov, at this point, still views himself as a kind of socialist revolutionary. Now you have this symbol of the old regime, a, a grand duke, which is basically coming to him to beg him to help him. But what the grand duke does is that he makes his appeal on the basis that we are fellow Freemasons. And therefore, despite our differences, as a brother Freemason, not as the grand duke Alexander Mikhailovich, I ask you to help me. And Savinkoff, as he later put it, said that I knew what my obligation was, and therefore I allowed his release. So here were two men who were seemingly completely apart on everything else, but who nevertheless were bound by that affiliation. And in this critical moment, one Freemason helped another. Whatever his duty to the revolution or anything else was, that's what it was he was going to do. Now, at the time I came across that, that was the first thing I can remember saying, well, what, what is this all about? Okay, why would he do that? And then how did that influence his relationships with other people? That was my first real indication of what was going on out there. And the thing about secret societies is that once you know what to look for, you just find them everywhere.
1: Dr. Spence. So glad to have you along for the ride. Now, to the topic at hand. But where exactly do we begin? With the Templars, the oldest of the societies we'll be dealing with in depth? Or should we go earlier, to Christian and Jewish priestly orders? Or perhaps something even further back in the mists of time? How to decide, how to decide. Wait, we've got it. Dana, where did we put the wheel of arbitrary episode starting points?
5: I don't remember. After you had me haul that god-awful heavy thing out for the assassinations, non-JFK episode, and then just left it in the middle of the room for someone else, i.e. a woman, to clean up, I think I pushed it into a corner.
1: But Dana, when you move my things, I can't find
4: them.
5: I've told you a million times, you have to find a place to put the things you care about, or else someone else is going to put them away for you. It is not my responsibility to work in chaos because you cannot be bothered to tidy up.
1: Fine. I'll just find it myself.
5: Find a place to put the things you
1: care about if someone else is going to put them away for you. Find it myself. I'll show her. Aha! Here it is. It's under my shroud of turrets. Jesus, Dana, that's not a dust cloth. Wow, uh, this wheel thing looks heavy. And I just hurt my back the other day. Dana, I'm sorry I was mean before. Can you move the wheel into the middle
5: of the room again? I don't know. Are you going to put it away this time? Yeah. Jeez.
0: That's it.
1: A little further. No, no, that's not centered. We want it to look nice. There we go. Now, Dana... Spin the wheel of arbitrary episode starting points.
5: Fine. I still don't know why we even have this thing.
1: And we land on... Egyptian mystery religions. Excellent. Great place to start. I mean, we could try to make some presumptions about the deep origins of human worship prior to any written records, but... We don't really know much, except that at some point people started burying their dead and anthropologists tend to associate these practices with the beginnings of religion. But the Egyptians, their shit is super weird and shrouded in secrecy, right? Like the Isis and Osiris cult. Only the ancient Egyptians could have come up with something that weird. Well... Well, what? Isis and Osiris are Egyptian gods, right? Right. And there were mystery cults devoted to them, right?
5: Yes though you haven't actually introduced what the concept of a mystery cult in the ancient world meant yet.
1: About to get to it. But the point is, the ancient Egyptians kicked this shit off, right?
5: Not exactly. While the truly ancient religions practiced by the Egyptians who built the pyramids almost 5,000 years ago have left some records, our knowledge of them is actually quite sketchy. And while it's likely that priests held close ceremonies related to the Egyptian gods at the time, we don't know much, if anything, about them, and they certainly didn't invite ordinary Egyptians to participate.
1: So where did we get the mystery cult of Isis and Osiris, then?
5: From the Greeks. Once Alexander the Great conquered Egypt and handed it over to one of his subordinates, who declared himself King Ptolemy I, the Greeks started doing their Greek thing, absorbing and modifying the worship of local gods to fit in with their existing pantheon a trick the Romans would eventually borrow, adapt, and kick into high gear once they took over the Mediterranean and Near East.
1: Dana, it's nice that you know a lot about this topic, but I'm supposed to be the know-it-all? You're the relatable, friendly, flavor flave to my verbose Chuck D, punctuating my lectures with bits of fun? Can we get back to our normal rhythm?
5: I suppose. But I'm not wearing the giant neck Yeah, boy!
1: Deal. So, in spite of the fact that the Egyptians definitely had some super cool, spooky religious stuff going on, the mystery cults that eventually heavily influenced both Jewish religious factions around the time of Jesus and the development of early Christian practices,
5: including the Gnostics we've discussed on a number of occasions,
1: those really come to us from the Greeks. In fact, the Isis and Osiris Egyptian cult is less ancient than a homegrown Greek version, the cult of Demeter and Persephone, better known for its commemoration in Eleusis the town that gave the cult that celebrated this festival its name, the Eleusinian Mysteries. According to our reading, scholars differ on exactly when and where these mysteries began. Some trace them back to the Minoan civilization, which existed thousands of years before the ancient Greek civilization that we're more familiar with. But the story the mysteries are based on is a pretty well-known and well-established bit of mythology, here synopsized quite nicely by the Ancient History Encyclopedia channel on YouTube.
2: Persephone. Persephone, also known as Kore or Proserpina, was the Greek goddess of vegetation and grain, daughter of the goddess of agriculture and fertility of the earth, Demeter. According to mythology, Persephone was picking flowers in a meadow when Hades, the god of the underworld, fell in love with her and flew down in his chariot and took her away to live with him. While Persephone was in the underworld, her mother Demeter searched the earth for her. She wandered aimlessly until she reached Eleusis. Demeter demanded a temple to be built in her honour at Eleusis and thus began the sanctuary at Eleusis. Demeter withdrew from the world and lived in the temple after its completion and created a drought to force the other gods to help release Persephone from Hades' grasp. Now a compromise was struck where, depending on the version of the myth that you're hearing, Persephone either has to live one half of the year in the underworld and half of the year with her mother or she lives with Hades for just one third of the year. The story of Persephone and Demeter may have been used as a symbolic explanation of the changing of the seasons. This cyclical narrative became essential in one of the rituals of the Eleusinian Mysteries, and the symbols of the cult became the ear of corn and a torch, which signifies Demeter's search for Persephone. All initiates were bound by oath to never disclose the details of the mysteries, and the Eleusinian rituals have stayed a mystery to this day.
1: We asked Dr. Spence to expand on why histories of secret societies tend to start with the Greeks, as well as what the Eleusinian and other Greco-Roman mysteries are, and why they're so important to understanding the history of secret societies and the roles they perform to this day.
6: The reason all of this starts with the Greeks is that the Greeks are pretty much the oldest civilization about which we can really say a lot. If you go back to the oldest civilization, if you go back to the Sumerians, uh, we don't even know where their language came from. I think in most people's minds, the Egyptians may be cooler than the Greeks in some way, but they're also kind of hazier. The Greeks simply got their names attached to a lot of stuff. So that's one of the first places we see it. So I don't think the Greeks invented secret societies. I'll give you one of my little theories for whatever it's worth. If you look at many of these cave paintings, they're deep inside the cave people weren't actually living in the cave, which means they, they didn't have any particular reason to be there other than to go way down inside and paint these pictures and like blow paint over their hands or something. So my little theory is that with what they were doing is that that was the earliest secret society. There would be no way you could ever prove that. Everything in history are a, a smattering of facts around which competing narratives are built. When you come right down to it, we don't have a lot of historical facts. I mean, facts are things like, This definitely happened then. These people were involved. Napoleon fought the Battle of Waterloo, and he lost. And therein hangs the whole historical tale. All the rest of the narrative is about why that happened. And you can explain Napoleon's failure at Waterloo any number of ways, all of which make, you know, depending upon your personal taste, varying degrees of sense. The thing is, is that they can't all be true. They all, in some degree or another, make sense. And, and that, I think, becomes often the test that people give, whether it's conspiracy theory or it's anything else they come across. Does it seem to make sense with what I know? I mean, does that seem kind of logical? What do we know about the ancient mystery cults, in particular the, the Greco-Roman cults, the Eleusinian Mysteries and, and the Mithraic Mysteries, to name just a, a couple of them, uh, and what kind of influence have they had up to the present time? The 19th century American Masonic scholar, a controversial one for a number of reasons, Albert Pike, wrote a book called Morals and Dogma. In it, he makes the interesting statement that he believes that Freemasonry is the kind of debased remnant of the ancient mysteries, or that they lay at the root of it. Freemasonry isn't the Colosseum in ruins. If you think of the mystery cults of recent Rome as the Colosseum in its heyday, you don't think of Freemasonry as the Colosseum fallen and collapsed. What you think of it as is that a modern building built with the stones of an ancient Roman palace. Uh, I won't claim that I believe that it's true, but it may be as good an explanation for any ancient so-called mystery cults or mystery religions. They were selective in their membership. Not everybody got in. There were oaths of secrecy, there were initiations. One of the things that you get out of being this is you get access to special knowledge or wisdom that other mere mortals don't have. The whole point of it is that membership in this religious group, in a kind of religious cult if you want to, would would give you access to experiences and knowledge that someone who was outside of the group could not have. The Illocidian Mysteries seem to be at, at bottom sort of about revealing the secrets of life and death we still don't know exactly what went on in their initiations. First of all, you had to drink some stuff that probably had hallucinogenic compounds in it. You're going to go underground, and you're going to be immersed in darkness, and then someone's going to start a fire, and then you're going to see hand shadows placed on a wall, and then you're going to pick mystical things out of a basket. We have to kind of guess as to what this was, but it, it was one of the main things that we mentioned, one of the few things that people could say, is that once you had gone through this ritual, you no longer feared death, which if you think about it, sounds a little bit like a Christian saying that my knowing that I am saved removes from me the fear of death. Because I am saved, that I am one of the elect, that I am saved through this. And it's one of the things that you can hear in the cult of Isis, who's, you know, as far as I can tell, was the Virgin Mary before she was given that name. The similarities are too overwhelming for, the, for that to be accidental in some ways. What Christianity did is that it became a mystery religion that was accessible to virtually anyone, whereas the others were much more selective. These these various societies spread throughout the empire, they encountered with each other, and I, I think that probably there were people who were members of one for a while and then became members of another, or perhaps members of some of them simultaneously. There were probably people moving from the Christian mystery cult into the and mystery cult and back and forth. And these ideas began to combine. But you can only really theorize about it because you don't have anybody who sat down and said, oh, hey, this is how it happened. We started here and we ended up here. And here's every step of the way. No, we don't know.
1: There we have the basic story. And as you've heard, the initiates swore an oath to keep the cult's secrets.
5: And unlike most of the secret society initiates will deal with the many thousands of people who must have undergone these rites over the years appears to have actually kept their oaths